Hi, Pastor Chuck here, and I want to say thank you for listening with us today. Hope this message from God's Word encourages you, challenges you, inspires you, and reminds you of how much God loves you. As I mentioned, we're, we're reading through the New Testament, and if you've been reading along, uh, you last week you would have read uh, the genealogy of Jesus, which is what we talked about last Sunday. Uh, you would have read about his birth. You would have then saw him begin to teach. And we see in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. And he begins to, uh, to, to teach the people there. Our passage this morning is uh, Matthew chapter 8. We read the first four verses. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1 says, When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said unto him, See thou tell no man, but go thy way. Show thyself to the priests and offer the gift that Moses commanded for testimony unto them. I mentioned that the, the, the chapters leading up to this, 5, 6, and 7, included the what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount, uh, a long discourse that Jesus made as he's on the, the, the mountains there, and people have come out to him, large crowds, and he's teaching them. Uh, most likely what Matthew captures here is just a, a, a synopsis of that. So this likely was much longer than even what is captured there. And uh, so he's, Matthew is, is sharing that, that passage of Jesus' teaching. And if you read through that passage uh, or have read it in the past, uh, you're, you're reminded as we go into that just how much Jesus is challenging the people to realize that they can't measure up to the standard of the law. That even if they try to make it out to where, okay, we're going to rearrange things to be able to say we're following the law, that they're going to fall woefully short. You know, in that passage of the, the Sermon on the Mount, he takes a couple of the commands and he kind of expounds on them. He says in one case, he says, you've heard it said you shall not commit murder. But I say unto you, if you hate your brother, you've committed murder already in your heart. He says, you can say, oh, I'm keeping all the commandments. He said, but if you're not keeping them in the, in the spirit, in the heart of that commandment, you're not keeping it. That if you want to say, well, I've never killed anyone. He says, well, I'm, I'm looking at it as if you hated that person, that's the same thing. He does the same thing with adultery. He says, you, you've heard it said, I shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, that if you look on a woman to lust after her, you commit adultery in your heart. He says, you know, you can try to create these little you know, standards and saying, okay, well, I can go this far, but not that far. He says, that doesn't cut it. He says, when, when I set that standard, perfection is the standard. To be able to stand before God, we have to be perfect. We have to be totally, uh, not only in, in, in word, but in action, uh, obedient. And he gives them that whole discourse. And at the end of it, the people are probably looking at it going, wow, who can do that? Who, who could possibly live that way? Who could possibly accomplish all this? Who could be that perfect? And I think that was the, the intent Jesus was giving in the Sermon on the Mount was to show them that the standard of the law is not something we can play with and say, okay, well, I'm going to change the rules to make myself look good enough so that when I stand before God at the end of time, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm better than other people. He said, better than other people doesn't cut it. The standard is God. The standard is His righteousness. And if we don't measure up to that righteousness, we can't stand before Him. And the reader then is, is, is kind of challenge to say, well, what can we do? Who, who could possibly live up to that? We need someone who can do that for us. And then Matthew turns here in chapter 8, in the next few chapters, and he shares some miracles Jesus did. Now, Matthew is one of the books that doesn't go in chronological order. Uh, you'll see some of these same uh, uh, stories or uh, 
accounts told in the other gospels and they'll be in different places of the gospel there. Matthew's not trying to tell a chronology of Jesus' life. He's trying to show the reader, generally uh, primarily a Jewish audience is who he's writing to. You can tell by the way he references some of the Jewish uh, customs without really giving any explanation for it. He's expecting his readers to understand that. He's giving them a picture of here's who Jesus was and what, why that's important to us. And he's already set it up with Jesus' uh, uh, Sermon on the Mount, explaining to us the high standard God has for righteousness and leaving the reader going, well, what can happen? He says, now let me show you what this Jesus is capable of. If, if anybody's able to do the impossible, it's Jesus. And that's what these miracles are designed to do. It says when he was come down from the mount, from come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. Now, Matthew's readers at that time would have understood that phrase right there to be creating some drama, creating some tension. They know this isn't necessarily a good. Great multitudes are following Jesus in their society at that time. It's going to get the attention of the leaders. It's going to get the attention of the government. Uh, the the Roman government didn't like it when uh, uh, people Jewish leaders came up and started gathering a big following. They began to think, okay, is this going to be an insurrection? Is this going to be, uh, you know, they're going to try to uh, gain their independence? So he's, he's setting the stage here saying, you know, all these people are starting to follow Jesus. They've listened to his teaching, and he comes down from the mountain, and they're still following him. And he's trying to set that expectation of this one that is Jesus. In verse 2 he says, and behold, there came a leper and worshipped him. As, as, as he comes down the mountain, there's still all these people around this, this leper, this man who's had, who's, whose uh, disease of leprosy has impacted his entire life, comes to Jesus. He believes Jesus is the Messiah. He believes he's the one that's been promised. He believes he has the power. And, it's, and, and Luke tells us he calls him a man full of leprosy. Meaning this man wasn't just somebody who had just been diagnosed or just been deemed to have leprosy and kind of kicked out of the, uh, the society. Because as you recall, leprosy at that time was, was a horrible uh, impact to the, to the individual. If they got leprosy, uh, the, the Jewish laws required that they were to live outside of the city. They couldn't live with the rest of their family. They were to be cut off because it was highly contagious and, and, and they had to basically give up their life and go live outside. Oftentimes, family members would take food and, and put it in a certain place and then leave and the person would come get the food and eat, but they couldn't even interact. They couldn't be close together. They couldn't touch. And so this man, he was full of leprosy. He was consumed by this disease. His whole life had been affected by this disease. Are you consumed by something this morning? Are you consumed by grief or consumed by fear, consumed by anxiety and worry, consumed by guilt? We can bring that to Jesus. We can come to him just like this man. His life was consumed with this disease of leprosy. And it says he came, uh, there came a leper and worshiped him. Notice it starts with worship. Mark tells us in his account that the, the man came beseeching and kneeling to him. So we see what the, the act of worship was there. It was He was basically getting down on his hands and knees uh, before Jesus, just prostrating himself before him to show the respect, to show his unworthiness uh, to this, this man he was approaching. Luke tells us the man fell on his face. That was the posture the man had to, to worship him. He, just, he put his face down. He realized who Jesus was. You know, our lives ought to always start with worship, with saying, okay, God, I recognize who you are and who I am and what my proper position is in, in before you, that I am not on, on a level with God. I'm not your equal. I am not, uh, you know, I, I am dependent upon you. That's what this man came. He came and he knelt before him, put his face to the ground and worshiped Jesus to show his uh, belief in who Jesus was.
Does your life show your belief in who Jesus is? You know, we may not have to get down on the ground and, and put our head to the ground, but the way we spend our time shows a lot about who we feel who we feel God is. The way we live our life shows a lot about who we feel God is and the role he has in our life. Is he just an afterthought or is he the center of it? Is he the, the one that we are focused on? It started here with worship. It says, there came a man, a leper, and worshiped him. I notice what it says here as he goes on. It says, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. We see such, I don't know, a unique, this is the reason I came to this passage this morning. As I was looking through what to, what to talk about today, I wanted it to be from our readings, either from last week or this week. And this passage just really grabbed me, it grabbed my attention with just the simplicity of what he had to say. If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. He's saying, Lord, I know you have the power to do this. He trusted God's power. You believe God has the power to overcome what it is you're looking for him to do for you? Maybe it's a, a prayer you've been praying that you need him to answer. Maybe it's healing that you're, you're praying for. Maybe it's a, someone else you're praying for. Maybe it's someone you know that doesn't know the Lord. You're praying for them to come to Christ. Whatever it may be, you believe he has the power to do it. Do you truly trust that, that God can do it? That's what he says. If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. You can do this. I know you have that kind of power. Do you trust God that way? That there's nothing too big for him? I know we always say that. There's nothing too big for God. But then sometimes we look at things and we say, well, I don't know if God's going to be able to do this. I don't know if God's going to do this or not. The way we live our life shows whether we truly trust him. This, this man is coming to Jesus and he, he bows down before him. and He says, I know you have the power to heal me. That's how we need to approach God. God, I know you have the power to do this. I know that there's nothing you cannot do. But notice also, almost more importantly than the fact that he trusted God's power, notice how he trusted God's will. He says, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. He says, you know, if you, if you want to do this, if this is in your will, then I know you can make me clean. I know you can heal me. I know you can remove this disease that's affected my entire life. I know you can do that. But the fact he's saying, if thou wilt, it's, it's, it's as if he's already saying, I'm going to submit to your will. Jesus, if you choose not to, I still trust who you are. Even if you choose not to do this, this isn't what you want to do today. If this isn't how you want this to work out. I'm still putting my trust in you. If you will, thou canst make me clean. I think that might be the missing ingredient in a lot of our prayers. Say, Lord, we, we pray for something. And I believe the Bible uh, encourages us and teaches us to pray. It's many times Jesus talked about us bringing our, our, our petitions to him. Make our requests known to him. Come to him and say, this is what we need. He, he commands us to do that. In fact, you've heard me talk about the, the, the story Jesus told of the widow woman. And how she was needing the judge to act on her behalf and he didn't have time for her, wasn't interested in helping her out. And she just kept going and going and saying, I need your help. I need your help. I need your help. And finally, the, the judge says, what is it you want me to do just to get her off his back, just to, to get rid of her? And, and finally, she got his attention and he did it. And Jesus told that story. And then he says, this is how I want you to pray. I love that story because it just it baffles my mind how Jesus used that as the illustration there. But he's saying, I want you to be so persistent. In your prayer, he wants us to bring our request to him, but he also wants us to recognize his will. 
Lord, if it be your will. Are we willing to pray that way? Say, God, I know you can do this. God, I'm going to be obedient keep bringing this request to you until you either answer it or you show me otherwise. And I'm also then going to be, I'm going to allow you to do whatever it is that is your will. You know, I, I once uh, read a book and uh, or started reading a book and it was talking about prayer and it was uh, talking about how um, these, uh, these, these, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word here. It was a Jewish, I don't even know what they were. They weren't priests. They weren't uh, the religious leaders. They were, I guess, uh, uh, prophets of sort. They weren't really prophesying either. But anyway, these men uh, in, in Jewish folklore, they would go out and they would draw these circles and they would stand in the circle and pray and say, God, I'm not leaving this circle until you answer this prayer. That was kind of the base of the whole book. And it was a good book. It was interesting. And, 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 and I believe that God does command us to pray and to believe and to be persistent in prayer. But as I was reading that, I couldn't finish the book because I couldn't get over that idea of them drawing a circle saying, I'm staying here until you answer this prayer. It had the wrong feel to it. Like, we don't go to God that way. We say, God, you're going to answer this or not. You're going you're gonna to do, you're, you're do what I'm telling you to do or I'm not going to do anything else. That's not really how we approach God. We come to God and say, God, this is what I'm asking of you. This is what's on my heart. This is what I need from you. And I'm trusting your will, however you work this out. If it's the way I'm asking for it, then I'll praise you for it. If it's not the way I'm asking for it, I'll praise you for it. To say, God, I know your power, but I also trust your will. That's what the man is saying. If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. To me, that was the level of faith that, that, that Jesus then responded to. To say, yes, this man is asking in the proper attitude. He's not coming to say, Jesus, do we're not going to believe in you. But do this, Jesus, or, or, or I'm just going to walk away and, and realize you weren't who I thought you were. He didn't come that way. He says, I know you can do this. I also know that you know what's best. And if you will, thou can make me clean. Let's approach our prayers. Let's approach God. Whatever it is that's on your heart, whatever it is that's burdening you right now, say, God, I know you can take this away from me. Whether it's something you're struggling with, whether it's uh, just any prayer you have, say, God, I know you can take this and you can remove this from my life if you choose to. And, I, and by saying that, we're, we're submitting that will. Say, okay, God, if you choose, then I'm going to wait for you to show me what it is you want me to do next. I'm going to keep praying for this until you point me to a different prayer and say, this is now what I need to be praying for. This is how, how I, what I'm doing and what I'm working in. I'm going to keep praying for that. And then when you show me your will, I'll submit to that. To me, that's the, the power of the story. If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And notice, he, uh, he goes on here in verse 3. It says, and Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. Notice that phrase right there. It says, and Jesus put forth his hand and touched him. To me, that might be just as powerful in this, these four short verses as the, the words the man uttered to Jesus. He had the faith to say, Jesus, I trust your will. But if you, if, if you want to, if you choose to, I know you can heal me. And that's what I'm asking for. Then Jesus touches him. Now that's just significant because the, the Jewish law mentioned said that someone couldn't touch a, a, a leper. The lepers were considered unclean. In fact, they had to walk around. If they came near someone who was not a, a leper, they had to shout out, unclean, unclean. So that person knew not to come near them. So that person couldn't accidentally bump into a leper. And uh, so, so Jesus actually reaches out and he touches him. You know, that's the, the beauty of this. I imagine that man was totally shocked when Jesus touched him. 
He hadn't felt human touch for, for however long he had had this disease. And, and if Luke tells us he was full of leprosy, he had probably had this disease for a while. He hadn't felt human touch the whole time. He didn't expect Jesus to touch him. He just asked him to heal him. He was just asking him to, to, to take this uh, disease away from him. And Jesus says, I'm going to do so much more. He touches him. He put forth his hand and he touched him. You know, I think that's an important message for us when we approach God. Sometimes we let our sin, our past sins, hold us back from really letting God bless us, from really asking God for things. So many times we want to ask God for something, we say, but I'm really not, I don't really deserve that. I don't really, God shouldn't, God shouldn't even answer my prayer. I'm not worthy of that. But here we see Jesus reaching out and touching this man, showing him that not only does he, is he going to heal him, but now that he's healed, he's, he's, he's a whole. There's no, no barrier between them. You know, most people at that point would have kind of been like, okay, keep your distance from me. I'm, you know, even if they had the power to heal, I'm going to heal you, but stay away from me. Jesus said, like, I'm not worried about all that. He touches him to let the man know, yes, you are received. You know, that's the way it is with our sin. Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation those who walk, to those who are in Christ Jesus, to those who walk not after the flesh, after the spirit. You see, when we come to God to, to, re, to make requests, he's not standing off going, oh, that person again. Oh, I don't know. I don't know what you did last time. No, he says there's no condemnation. We, we can stand before him as if we'd never sinned. In 2 Corinthians, you hear this all the time, but it, because it's important for our understanding of how we stand before God, uh, uh, Paul Corinthians, he says, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Talking about Jesus, the one who never sinned, the one who didn't experience sin uh, himself at all. Made him to be sin for us. He took on our sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You realize that? If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, if you've asked forgiveness of your sins, you've been made righteous. You can stand before God with his righteousness. That's why he can reach out and embrace it. When he, when he reached out and touched that man, he wasn't touching a leper. No, he was touching someone he had healed, someone that he had, he had replaced his, his sickness and disease with health. That's what he's done for us. He's replaced our sin and failures and, and uh, insecurities with his righteousness. We've been made righteous. Paul described it as, as, as being alive to righteousness. First, first, sorry, Peter described it as being alive to righteousness. In 1 Peter 2, he says, who, in, who his own self, talking about Jesus again, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on that tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Again, he's, he's pointing back there to that, that prophecy in Isaiah that talked about Jesus coming and the Messiah coming and, and taking our sin, and by his stripes we would be healed. He's saying, when he did that, when we accepted Christ our Savior, said that I believe that's enough for my sin, to cover my sin, that we are now alive to righteousness. We now live in, in a righteous state. The new you has been made righteous, not by something that, that we did. Titus 3.5 tells us, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Jesus was showing that when he makes us clean, we're not only clean, but we are whole, desirable, loved. He did all that with just a simple touch, showing this man that you are loved. You're not an outcast. You're not a, a, a former something. You are now part of my family. Jesus put forth his hand and touched him. Romans 5, Paul writes, For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. 
talking about Adam's sin, because when he when he fell, we all became sinners. So, so the obedience of one, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Aren't you glad we can have that righteousness? That we can be made to, to, to look like Jesus? We can be made that perfect, even though we're imperfect, even though we still fail and struggle, that he's replacing all that sin with his righteousness. Are you wanting a touch from Jesus, but not feeling worthy of his embrace? He says you're worthy and desired. We just need to approach him in faith. Notice Jesus' response here. Not only did he touch him, but he says, I will. See, God wants to grant our request. You know, he, he mentions in, in other passages where he tells us to, to pray and bring his request to him. He describes it in a sense of, he says, for a father knows what his children need. He's saying that's the relationship he has with us. He knows what we need. He wants to give us good things. He wants to bless us and, and do things for our lives. He's not there trying to go, okay, well, are you bringing me a request? What have you done for me lately? That's not the, the way prayer works. It's not a tit-for-tat kind of a thing. He's not saying, okay, well, you know, what would you bring me so I can decide whether I'm going to answer this? He wants to answer our prayers. He wants to bless us. He wants to put good things in our lives. And here he says, I will. Mark is a little more emphatic in his description of this. In, in Mark chapter 1, he says, and as soon as he had spoken, talking about Jesus, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was clean. He was cleansed. As soon as he spoke, when he said, I will be thou clean, it wasn't a, everybody looking around going, wonder what's going to happen next. He said, it was boom. The man was clean. The leprosy was gone. It was a visible change in that man's life. That's what happens when God forgives us of sin. It, it, it's instant. There's no probationary period. There's no trial run to see if it's stuck. You're forgiven. <clears throat> Isaiah 43, verse 25, God is speaking to the nation of Israel here about some of the punishment that they're going through because of their disobedience. And he's saying, you will come back to me. And when you ask for forgiveness, I will forgive you. And in Isaiah 43, 25, he says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgression for my own sake and will not remember thy sins. If you've accepted Christ your Savior, if you've asked forgiveness of your sins, he's, he's, he says, I've forgotten them. I, I put them away, so I don't even remember them anymore. In fact, that's what the next step of the story was all about. It was about that cleansing process of things being washed away. Says, uh, Jesus said unto him, See thou tell no man, but go thy way. Show thyself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. See, the, the process to be declared clean from leprosy was very involved. It was a, it was a, a routine or a, a ritual they had to go through to be accepted back into society, to be able to say, yes, this person is now clean from leprosy and they can now be a part of our society again. We see it in Leviticus chapter 14. If you want to read the, the steps that had to be taken for someone to, to, to come back from having had leprosy and be declared clean, uh, it involved being seen by the priest. Then they had to offer several sacrifices. One was a bird where they would actually take two birds and they would kill one as a sacrifice and they would set the other one free. There were several lambs that were offered. There was a series of things they would go through, and, and it was a process depicting how God would set them free from their sin. There was a, a lot of washing that took place in, the, in this process as well. If you read that in Leviticus chapter 14, they would, they would wash themselves, wash their clothes. They would shave their head uh, or shave, shave their whole body, their eyebrows, beard, everything. And uh, they would go through this process over and over to show that, that washing and that cleansing. You know, that's why baptism is such a significant ordinance. It depicts the washing away of our sins, the, our trust that, that God can truly cleanse us no matter what. So what are you needing from Jesus today? You need healing? You need an answer of prayer? Let's evaluate how we're approaching him. 
Are we approaching him with the proper posture? The, the proper worship is our life, a life of worship that says, okay, God, I'm making you the most important thing in my life. I'm recognizing that, 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 that you're God and I'm just your servant. You're God and I'm just the child that you've adopted into your family. Are we also trusting his power? Say nothing is too hard for God. Nothing is too big that he can't handle it. And then maybe only are we trusting his will? Saying, God, I trust no matter what you, what you do in this situation, I'm trusting you that you're doing what's best for me. That's how we approach God for healing, for answers to prayer, whatever it may be. Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Let's make that our prayer this week. Whatever it is you need from God, whether it's you've, maybe you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, do that today. Say, God, I know you can take my sin away. Or maybe it's, it's physical healing you're after. Maybe it's uh, someone you're praying for. Maybe it's a need in your life. Whatever it may be, you have something in your life that you say, God, I need you to remove this from my life. Lord, if thou wilt, I know, I believe, I trust you can make me clean. And I submit to your will, whatever you do. Mm-hmm.